Today we hang out with Dr. Alexandra Canero de Mello, who has a master's in food engineering, and she shares with us her journey of how she then became a homeopath. In this episode, Dr. Alex proposed a genius way for us to do scientific studies on homeopathic remedies using cell lines, which is something that will definitely be accepted by the scientific community and really go a long way to get homeopathy accepted in mainstream. The only thing holding Dr. Alex back is trying to find an organization that will fund such a study as there is so much money involved. So my hope and wish is really that today's episode will fall on the right ears and somehow we can make this research a reality. You can reach Dr. Alex at www.alexcmelo.com. That's A-L-E-X-C-M-E-L-O.com. And you can join her Facebook groups. One of them is Horses and Homeopathy. Another is Farm Animals and Homeopathy. And the third is Homeopathy and Natural Healthcare for Children. And we'll link these in the show notes. Enjoy the episode. Welcome to the Homeopathy Hangout, where we discuss all things homeopathy from around the world. And now my mum and your host, Eugenie Kruger. Hello, homies, and a very warm welcome to Homeopathy Hangout. Today, we speak with Dr. Alexandra Canero de Melo. Yes. Okay, excellent. Welcome, Alexandra. It's lovely to have you here today. Thank you. Thank you for having me here. It's my pleasure. So can you tell us a little bit about how you were first introduced to homeopathy? What was your journey into this, uh, you know, rabbit hole? (laughs) Uh, A long journey, actually. Mm -hmm. Since I was very young, I was always fascinated about health. It was always a passion. Um, And I started my academic training in food engineering because of the saying, you are what you eat. And we have an amazing engineer machine that is absolutely perfect. And I eat a banana and two hours later, the banana becomes Alex. So it's (laughs) something phenomenal Uh that no other machine can can do, but it comes without instructions. Unfortunately, (laughs) the manual is missing. So, but we start from the basic blocks. That's what we are. And um, so I wanted to go beyond nutrition and I wanted to know about everything from the raw materials uh, when they are produced in the field until it gets to your plate. So I studied food um, engineering. Uh, When I graduated, I was not very happy with the outcome because I went into the course from the health perspective. And when I finally graduated, I thought, oh, my God, I don't want to spend all my life uh, in a factory dealing with chocolates or (laughs) dealing with wines or dealing with dairy. I wanted, you know, to pursue my career. So at, as the part of the program of food engineering, I was sent abroad because I was in the area of chocolate and I was given two choices, either to go to Switzerland or to England, because we had to design this new food product, uh, a chocolate. And I had come up with the idea of chocolate with port wine to expand no. the national product. And um, 
I chose England because uh, Reading University has the food science and technology department uh, very close to the Cadbury's Research Institute within the campus of the wow. So I was on a, gen- on a joint venture between the two. So I came to Reading. It, I, I loved uh, the life at uni there and uh, went back finished my degree and went back to Reading to do a master's on food microbiology because now there are so many microbes that can cause serious food poison and food intoxication. So I went and I did a master's. When I finished my master's, I realized that there are many other microbes that do not (laughs) (laughs) really contaminate food that can cause disease. So I got a scholarship to go to King's College London and I did my PhD on just pure applied microbiology. Uh, It went very well. I loved the life uh, again at uni. I am a person that cannot do repetitive things. So life in research was just perfect for me. And when I finished my PhD, actually just before I finished my PhD, I was hired by GlaxoSmithKline from the the pharmaceutical company to do postdoctoral research on um, a product that they wanted to increase the sales. And the way it works uh, for the pharmaceutical, at least at the time, because it's very, what is very expensive, it's really the equipment and it's not worth investing for a project. So they rent the space at King's College, the labs and the equipment, and they hire the researchers. so I, I was able to continue at King's for an extended period of time and while I was working for them. That didn't really go well, or at least not according to my plans, <laughs> what I was expecting. It was very tough. I was very happy that I had the support of uh, kinks behind me and I was not on a battle alone but it was you know like every experience you learn a lot Mm. and this was a big eye-opener for me and from then onwards I realized that I had to find an optimal approach to health Mm. that did not included pharmaceuticals and chocolate (laughs) (laughs) no chocolate is fine you know I I love chocolate I just did not want to work all my life researching chocolate you know because (laughs) I had to be focused on health Uh so after King's and after Glaxo I went to Imperial College on another postdoc uh, position this time just studying marine pollution and uh, the impact of different oxidative stress on a unicellular marine algae. So because the algae was just based on one cell, it 
behave very much like a microorganism. And that was fine. Meanwhile, I got pregnant and I knew I was not going to follow the normal route. Mm-hmm. And being a researcher, I started looking for the best approach to health because, okay, you say, if the child is sick, I'm not going to give antibiotics. I don't really want it to vaccinate as well, but you need to have a tool on your hand that you understand and you believe in case they get sick, because you cannot just cross your arms and say, I leave it Mm. to the universe to sort it out. Mm. And I looked very seriously into that. And when I came to homeopathy that until then I have not heard about, uh, it just blew up my mind. And as Mm -hmm. a scientist, funnily enough, it made a lot of sense. Really? That's something you don't hear often. (laughs) What about it made sense for you? It's based on very strong laws, laws of nature that are absolutely immutable, like the law of gravity. It's not based on assumptions or um, statements that we believe, but after a few years, it's discredited because we evolved and we realized that what we thought is true is no longer true. Mm. But as the law of gravity is immutable, and we know that it's not going to change unless we have some mass catastrophic planetary disasters Uh (laughs) affecting the gravity on Earth, hopefully not. (laughs) Um, Because homeopathy is based on law of nature and these laws are immutable, and if you follow them, it they are actually consistent. Mm. And I think this is a massive problem discrediting homeopathy. Because when we talk about science, the first thing we do when we want uh, to publish and uh, a discovery that we make, first you formulate the hypothesis and then you go and you repeat the experiments again and again and again and to to prove that the results are consistent mm. and this is called reproducibility and all science is based upon that if you cannot reproduce results it's not you know, you cannot make a statement. Mm. You cannot prove to be true Mm. or not. Mm. So the whole thing is based on reproducibility. And as we know, homeopathy, um, you can have, it treats the person and not the disease. So if your genie has diabetes, I am treating Eugenie that suffers from diabetes. Mm. I am not based my prescription on the condition of diabetes. And so we might have 10 people 
in a room infected, and this we can scientifically prove by the same virus, but these 10 people will elicit completely different symptoms according to their constitution, according to their makeup. Mm. And the thing with homeopathy is that the majority of research and science that is being made, it's made within the same patterns of all the other projects, with conventional medicine, because conventional medicine, you have a condition and you give a chemical in material doses and you have to prove that this chemical Mm -hmm. is doing something to the symptoms. Mm -hmm. I not really curing the symptom. We know that, but suppressing the symptom or palliating the symptom. Mm -hmm. But whatever you want to call it is relieving the patient is improving Mm -hmm. the patient on some level. Mm -hmm. And we approach homeopathy with the same perspective. And of course, it will not work because you you cannot say, oh, you know, we have 10 children with empatigo, 10 children with infected with the same strain of Staphylococcus. And we're going to give antimonium crudum to the 10 of them and the 10 of them are going to get well. Mm. Because each child might need most probably will need a different remedy. Mm. And so, you know, we we get into this ongoing debate about homeopathy. Of course, you know, you have to prove that homeopathy works from a different perspective. Mm. If we could clone 10 people... (laughs) (laughs) with the same genes and put them all exactly under the same circumstances with the same genetic material and in the same environment eating Mm. the same food which is impossible you know then we could use the same approach Mm -hmm. it's so true what you're saying Alex that is really like the, the the thing with homeopathy if we can just kind of somehow figure out how we can explain to the scientific community how homeopathy works. And that's why I'm so grateful to the people of the Homeopathic Research Institute because they're doing so much work to, you know, hopefully one day make this a reality where we we can explain how and why homeopathy works. But, yeah, it's very It it is easy, actually. Um, It is? It's just that it it is, Um, (laughs) at least on some level. Mm. Because if you... Think about what I said. You cannot clone 10 people, but we can clone. I mean, we we can work with bacteria Mm. and the bacteria multiplies all from the same cell. So and they are all in the same exact conditions, feeding exactly on the same thing. And. Uh, on the level of prophylaxis or on the level... I I actually wrote a very detailed project. Unfortunately, there is no money in homeopathy. Dana Alman was extremely interested. Uh, Dr. Yubra Sharma revised the project and said, great, fantastic. 
but I cannot find anyone to finance it. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. Surely, yeah, and can we can we start a GoFundMe page? Like, what's what sort of amount of money are you talking about? Surely, we can make this happen. I I have the project written more than two years, but what sort of money? It has to be. Uh, we have to rent a lab. Mm-hmm. And we have to pay the salary of technicians to do these experiments, which are not very expensive at, at the beginning. I mean, it can be as expensive as we want them to be. If we are going to see just the rate of death of uh, bacterial uh, cells, that is easily done, you know, by optical density even. Um, but if we want to study and see what happened on a metabolic level, you know, what happened to the mitochondria, how did the homeopathic remedy increase the respiration rate? Oh, or, it fascinating. You know, it, it's the world is our oyster. We can study as much as we want on bacteria and then once it proves that it works on bacteria then it's a big stepping stone you know to bring it into the human realm but we are talking on an energetic level and we know that every uh, creature as long as it has a vital force Mm. responds to homeopathy so then it's very easy to extrapolate you know mm. if it works on a mic on a unicellular level it will work mm. on a human being you know we don't need to do the same type of experiments we do on cells on human beings mm. because of the way homeopathy works because it's on an energetic level. If we were talking on material doses, it would be different. Mm. You know, you would have to see what happens in a rat and then see what happens on a human being. Having said that, we know that the majority of experiments are all tested in lab rats and in guinea pigs. But, you know, and then from there, it jumps into human and nobody tests them really on humans. Exactly. you've got you've got you've got my interest really peaked here alexandra because you've got a phd in this in applied microbiology if we're going to get anyone to do a homeopathic study you should be the one and i don't think that money should be something that holds something back that is really so important and so much needed and that's also a flip side of that just shows you the corruption in this world where if organizations were really interested in funding uh, low-cost, effective, safe treatments for humanity, you know, they would be throwing money at you if this was really the interest, you know, if this was really what was driving people is healthcare, you would not be able to keep up with the amount of money that would be thrown at you because this sounds like this type of study is exactly what's needed. And yeah, the, the, microorganisms are are perfect to work on. And I know there are some studies at the moment where homeopathy has been used in uh, petri dishes with bacteria and things. I think in India, there's some studies. I I have definitely seen them around. I couldn't recall any right now. And I don't know how accurately they were done or, you know, to what sort of extent, but I'm I'm sure there are studies out there where 
microorganisms have been used? They are, but they are used in the same way we test antibiotics. So okay. you have a Petri dish and, you know, for an antibiotic, you put the antibiotic in the media and then you measure the radio of the, the colony and how efficient the mind. And that's how as well, when people have a urinary infection and you want to see which is the best antibiotic for that microorganism, when you culture the microorganism of the infection and then you test it against several antibiotics. But the, again, because homeopathy is not with material doses, I don't mm -hmm. think that this is the right approach to test homeopathy on bacteria. Oh, we've got to make this happen. You've, you've got my brain going now. We're going to have to do a GoFundMe page or something to make this happen because money should not be the reason why this research doesn't go ahead because this is so important. It's, okay. I, I think it's, um, it's very difficult to get across um, people in the, in the scientific world because of course, you know, you invest when, when you invest into research, it's, you are expecting a profit, yeah, you know, yeah. the outcome has to be very profitable hmm. and homeopathy was never profitable. In the life. thing you is know, though, even, there's even billions if, of us on the planet. I mean, you would just need like a few hundred thousand people each giving a few bucks and we can make this happen. But you, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It, it's something that we can think about. I tried to approach several times. I wrote to them a, a lot of uh, emails uh, to the Research Institute of Homeopathy here in London. I got nowhere. Mm. I managed to, to meet. Well, yes, I did meet her. But very briefly when she launched uh, the movie about homeopathy uh, magic or oh, um, uh, no. Rachel Roberts yes yeah that's it that is involved with the institute uh, or at least she was HRI. With, yeah yeah and she was not interested as well so you know, oh well we just know. need to get it's yeah we I think we need to do it go find me page and just get a whole bunch of people donating even if it's small amounts we need to make this happen so what are some of the things if you talk to your colleagues I mean if you were ever to chat with your with your colleagues at GSK or any of the other you know um King's College or anywhere of these places that you worked at and you tell them that you're a homeopath now what do they say that I lost my mind, <laughs> <laughs> that I got into witchcraft. <laughs> and I actually don't think we did that, but like, how did you, how did you then get into homeopathy? Did we, oh, you said when you were, you had the children that you yeah, started discovering. I, I had but the did, children. How, how, did, yeah, how uh, did you discover that? Like, and, and how did you then go on to study homeopathy yourself? So when I got pregnant, I knew that I had to find a way. I started researching into traditional Chinese medicine, acupuncture, naturopathy, and then I came across homeopathy. And it was when I started reading about it and studying about it, you know, as I said, it made a lot of sense to me. It really resonated with mm -hmm. me. Meanwhile, I moved to Greece because my husband is Greek. Um, and Andrew was just one year old. And of course, you know, I had just 
taken the decision that I wanted Andrew to be treated homeopathically, but I was not an homeopath. Um, so I found a German homeopath in Greece, uh, which she was very successful with Andrew. And she turned around one day and she said, Alex, you have such an amazing brain and you are here being a sophisticated housewife. Why don't you get into homeopathy? Why don't you study? And actually, she I was in Greece and my Greek was not good enough to study to the level of studying. So uh, I, again, was looking the best possible way to study in English and I found the British Institute of Homeopathy so that was fantastic I love the course I had Dr. Trevor Cook uh, as my supervisor and he was the personal I think his first degree was in pharmacy so mm -hmm. he was in charge of all the homeopathic remedies for the royal family wow yeah and and then I studied with Maria T. Boyle in the States to do my clinical. Well, I was supervised by her. I didn't really study by her for the clinical internship to finish the course. So overall, it was five years. And because I was in Greece, I went at least for three consecutive years to the island with of Alonis <laughs> with Vidulkas, yes. I was going to say, you but, would have to go there, surely. You couldn't be yeah. in Greece and not go there. Oh, it was fabulous because he was teaching to the Latin, uh, or, I, or I chose to go with the Latin group. So it was all Latin America, a lot of Brazilians, Spain as well. And I had the best of both worlds because Vidulkas was talking in English, mm -hmm. which I am fluent. And I also, being Portuguese, I understand 90% of the Spanish speaking language. So I was getting it both ways when I was studying that. And the group was fabulous, you know, oh, very upbeat. Very that nice sounds people. amazing. And do you have like a favorite uh, area of homeopathy or any, any area that you specialize in or any particular cases that you really enjoy treating? Oh, yes. Yes. I love working with animals. Animals okay. and children are my favorite areas <laughs> oh, of interest. I love that your doggy just barked just as you said that. I know. I know. Well, living in Greece, I was involved in many rescue operations, as you can possibly imagine, especially with stray dogs. And being a, a rider uh, as well, I love horses. So I got very involved with horses, dogs, uh, and cats uh, a lot. And then um, children, you know, they're very pure and they're mm. spontaneous and usually are not over-medicated as mm. well. So... And my kids were at the St. Catharines, which is the British Embassy School in Greece. So the public transports are not very good. So everybody drives the kids in there. Everybody goes to pick them up as well. And that was very beneficial because even people that did not believe at all in homeopathy, but 
um, they could see me, they could see my kids, you know, which is fantastic. It's not mm -hmm. what you say, is what you prove mm -hmm. and what they can see and experience. And they had their kids, you know, with recurrent ear infections mm. or recurrent tonsillitis. I had a case of a kid that mother was desperate because he, he was suffering from stomach pains, uh, very severe. And he had, she had gone to all the doctors and did not know what to do anymore. And she, she was a, a GP herself. And um, so not at all with into homeopathy. But because the other mothers were saying, oh, you know, my child was always on antibiotics and she gave a remedy. I don't care what it is, but it worked. Why <laughs> you don't try it? You have nothing to lose. Blah, blah, blah. And so she came to me and it was such a simple case of antimonium crudum. Mm. And the kid was fine, you know, uh, one single dose of a 200. Wow. And that was it. So, yes, um, children and animals, of course, with horses and horse riding accidents are always happening to horses and mm. to people. Mm. So very, very nice mm -hmm. uh, for homeopathy and very easy because the etiologies are very striking mm. and the symptoms are very striking as well. Um mm. Yeah, and dogs, stray dogs, oh my God, you know, stramonium, aconite, oh. saved so many dogs to be euthanized. Mm. So many dogs, mm. because they are heavily traumatized. They are very, very scared. Uh, and of course, they can only do, especially if they feel trapped, mm. it's to bite or yeah, to attack. Mm. So... Aconite. I really wish there were more shelters, animal shelters that would get homeopaths on board or even homeopaths that would volunteer at shelters to give these animals remedies so that they can then actually be rehomed. Because once you remove that fright and that shock, you know, from that animal or the grief or whatever it is, you know, with the right homeopathic remedy, that animal's personality gets to actually shine as opposed, you know, just like we do with our human clients. So yeah, any homeopath listening, get in touch with your local shelters and go and volunteer your time. It's fantastic because I was uh, involved with two rescue. I'm still am. I, I, I work a lot remotely, even before COVID, because when I left Greece, there were a lot of people that said, no, I want to stay with you. Mm. And with the phone now, it's it's fabulous. You know, you can see eruptions. You, you can tell to the mom to tape the tantrum or to tape mm, mm. Uh, a behavior with the horses, with the animals as well. Send me the photos of the poop. Send me the photos mm. of the lesion. Send them, send me the, a do a little video and just send it over how the dog is reacting, what is he doing or the horse, whatever. And um, so it works really, really well. But these operations, they pick up the dogs from the street. Mm -hmm. And then uh, once the dog is well, they are rehomed in Germany and Belgium. And there they are very strict. Uh -huh. And most of the animals, they are withdrawn. They, they go through blood tests to see if they are drugged in any with any drugs. And so no antibiotics, no tranquilizers no antihistaminics and here homeopathy shines because you can relax the dog for the trip you can treat the dog and 
sometimes, you know, in two weeks, they have to be on a flight. So if they were on an antibiotic, two weeks later, the antibiotic would show in blood tests. Mm. So I got loads and loads on my hands, mm-hmm. you know, to, to deal with. That's Which amazing. Is very nice. and, and you are, so you are actually allowed to go in and help these animals. Do, is it like a particular shelter that you work with or is it just uh, anyone who wants to have, uh, have no, a place for their animal taken? It's, it's not, it's not shelters. One uh, is a lady that is quite well off financially and mm. she has a passion with dogs and she has the space and the time. So she has five dogs herself that they were all strays and uh, she she's on this mission. But, you know, in Greece, it's it's amazing. I, I used to send my daughter to throw the rubbish and she would come with a supermarket plastic bag full of kittens, you know, where they oh. just dump and they close it. Oh. So wherever you go, there are dogs, there are cats that need to be really? helped with. So she goes. She catches them and then she we speak either WhatsApp and she sends me videos and photos. She tells me what are the problems. I She works with two vets that by now we know each other very, very well because, of course, homeopathy is amazing. But if there is a fracture mm. or if there is a tumor that is creating an occlusion or is impeding on any organ, it needs to be removed. So every... Every type of medicine has its own niche and it has its own purpose. But uh, the vets learn how to work with me and me with them. So we adapt very well to each other. And it's just that is like it beautiful. How cool. Um, now, Alex, is there anything that you want to finish this episode off with? Like what message do you want to get across to our audience? Um you know how and how can people get hold of you? Oh, well, a hold of me, my website, and I work uh, with three groups in uh, Facebook. I have my own, which is called Pharma Animals and Homeopathy. So there are uh, there you can put any animal case that you can think of. Um, I also have, together with another team of three homeopaths, uh, another group called Horses and Homeopathy. Mm-hmm. Um, but that group is just for horses. And um, I work with Amanda Uner with the Children, Natural Health and Homeopathy for Children. So that's... Uh, other three groups where you can find me as well. Amazing. Make sure that you send me those links and I'll put them all in the show notes so people can join those Facebook groups, right? Absolutely. Oh, so Absolutely. cool. No, very nice. Um, and I think the main thing with homeopathy, uh, very, very important, is to empower mums to with uh, uh, homeopathy, but not in... Uh, I don't want to say silly, but I would say not in a lazy way. Oh, you have a cold, give a cold combination. Mm-hmm. But there are five, six main remedies that are quite used for colds that have, we know that in children, 
have a high affinity mm. and do courses. I mean, I'm doing a course now at the end of June in two sessions, four hours. So two hours on a Monday, on the 20th and 27th. I wrote a book as well uh, for this course, which was actually based on the time that I was in Greece. Because in Greece, a lot of people go for holidays in the islands. Now, these islands, there are no clinics, no doctors, conventional or not, and in many, not even pharmacies. So I kept telling to the moms, I can only help you as long as you have your homeopathic remedies with you. Yeah, yeah. So... Uh, I wrote a book and I did a kit of my own while I was in Greece and um, for exactly all these conditions. And and moms, when they are empowered, you know, homeopathy is difficult even for professional homeopaths that are practicing for decades. Mm. So for a mom that did not study homeopathy the way we did, it can be very overwhelming. And plus, you know, you have the anxiety, especially if it is the first child, that it is mm. with a fever or high fever, what to do, which remedy. And the more you read, the more you get confused as Absolutely, well. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. So it's very nice that people get empowered, that they have the book, that they go to the earaches, they can look at the remedies, try themselves, for three, four doses, if it does not work, then they can call their homeopath. Mm, absolutely. But I, it's a I tool. so agree it's with you. It's all about there. empowering people, you know? It's so nice to feel You're talking my language. That something you can do. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. And I just think if we are more empowered as mothers, our children are happier and healthier because they feel when we are stressed. And so if we're feeling empowered, that, you know, just leads onto the whole family, just being in a, you know, bit of vibe. It's, it's annoying sometimes how the family feeds off the mother's energy, but um, the, the good side of that is when we feel empowered then the whole family is more in balance anyway. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, it was lovely to chat with you, Alex. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, let's get that GoFundMe page going and get this uh, exp- this uh, project of yours happening. It sounds fascinating. <laughs> we need to find the lab first. That yeah. Is, I guess. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. Have a lovely weekend. Thank you for having me. Bye-bye. Bye.